Welcome back, everyone, to Death Holler. I'm your host, Reverend Dr. Death. Joining me, as always, is La Urena, and this is the second part of our Candyman episode. This time, we are covering Candyman Farewell to the Flesh from 1995. Tagline, evil comes when you call his name. That's not bad. It's not bad, but the 12-year-old in me hears that title and knowing the candy man and how he's all about seduction and stuff and it's evil comes <laughs> when you call his name it it sounds suggestive is all i'm gonna say i mean let it uh, let it be one. you know <laughs> i'm just sitting there thinking it's like candy man candy man oh god you know <laughs> i bet you there's a movie if only nah, we knew somebody you, if that only could. We knew somebody, yeah, that could do. Hint, hint. Oh, um, another tagline from the movie: uh, "Dare you say his name five times again?" Boo. I don't like that one. I don't. Like the it. first one is a good tagline if you're not a twelve year old. Yeah, um, in in spirit or mind or whatever. Uh, directed by Bill Condon, uh, written by Rand Ravitch, uh, Mark Kruger. And Clive Barker, I'm assuming based on characters by, because it doesn't sound like Clive had a lot to do with this one. I hope not. Uh, they did use Philip Glass's music in this one again, which was good. I mean, it it's obviously great, and it fits the character. Uh, made for a budget of $6 million, it made 13.9. So, <laughs> And it's not a bad film when it comes to like, but you can tell the budget was not, I mean, they got a lot out of that extra budget they put in the first movie. I mean, it wasn't a lot that they difference in the budgets, but they used it well in the first movie versus this one. Yeah. Uh, principal players. We have Kelly Rowan, uh, playing Annie Tarrant or Tarrant, uh, who is our final girl. Uh, she is the great, great granddaughter or something along that lines of the candy man. So she is, the you know the line the bloodline that uh his uh you know paramore uh gave him so she's got the uh, uh palpatine a, bloodline yeah and he let me put it this way the candy man makes some nice looking blonde women that's all i can say ah! he's got between this and part three he he definitely i mean he he his uh his bloodline's pretty good for making blonde women that's all i can say oh my so. god uh, Kelly Rowan was in Hook, Grave Secrets, The Legacy of Hilltop Drive, which was a TV movie, and The O.C., the TV series. Uh, we have Tony Todd back playing the Candyman, and this time they do give him a name, Daniel Robitaille, that is continued forward from there. Um, Carolyn Barclay plays Carolyn Sullivan in this one. Uh, she was in The Game and Species. Uh, Michael Culkin returns as Philip Purcell. He's the rich British asshole that we talked about. Has a expanded part at the beginning of the movie. It's a nice tie between the two films. Okay. Um, Timothy. Well, basically, what it is is it starts out and he is doing a book tour about the Candyman book that he wrote oh. based upon the based upon the information that Helen collected. So he oh. technically stole her work and made his own book. Dirty. Um, 
he has uh, Ethan uh, Tarrant, which I'll get to in a minute, uh, there, which is this disturbed man who uh, calls him out on his bullshit with a candy man, saying, if you, uh, it, he said, do you believe this is real or a myth or whatever? And uh, Phillips try to sell the book, says that he believes that it is just a myth. And, or, you know, he, he's cause he's pompous. It's just a myth, uh, but he, he does name check Helen from the first movie and say it's, it's regrettable what happened to her. Yeah. Um, cause he was at her funeral that was established at the end of the first movie. Yeah. And, um, and then Ethan tells him, it's like, well, if you believe it's just a myth and look in a mirror and say Candyman five times, uh, Philip does it, but he pauses on the fourth one as if he's scared, but he does the fifth one anyways. And then we follow him. Uh, he gets uh, kind of uh, not really assaulted, but he gets confronted by Ethan again. And basically, Ethan mentions something about how the Candyman is real, that it's bullshit, that he's trying to, you know, like make money off of it because it's apparently this family was visited, and this is set in New Orleans, by the way. Uh, this family has already been visited by and, and broken apart because of the, the Candyman uh, prior to the events at Cabrini Green. And so. Uh, he tells Philip that he's full of shit for doing all this. Philip kind of waves him off. Um, he gets uh, followed again to a bar, uh, and whenever he tries and gets punched by uh, Ethan at that point, they drag Ethan off. They go arrest him for, you know, uh, harassment. And um, they take Phil, and Philip goes into the bathroom, and while he's in there, uh, you know, there's uh, there's a little bit of a fake out. Uh, it's a really good scene, actually, though, as far as a scary movie goes. It's like he's it's all quiet. There's a little bit of fake out with somebody in the bathroom, but it's and it's the black man in there, and it's you know there might be overtones there. I'm not reading into him, but like he's kind of scared of him at first. But it's not the Candyman, okay. and that guy leaves. And then all of a sudden the lights go out, and when they flicker back on, Tony Todd's standing behind him and then guts him. So Philip gets gutted at, right at the beginning of the movie. So, Damn. And it, it's a really well done scene. I mean, it, it's it's actually as well done as any of the horror scenes from the first movie. That part is at least. Yeah. Wait, um, but why would he the, kill Philip? Philip's keeping Laura alive. Um, because Philip dared to call his, well, because Philip doubted, Philip was casting doubt on his oh, name. Oh, okay. Because even though he's keeping the lore alive, he called him a myth. He didn't say he was real. But he so, kept his name in his know. motherfucking mouth. <laughs> I told you, it's the, the continuity is not the greatest between these movies. Okay. Um, but it is, it is a good scene for what it is. Um, we have Timothy Carhart playing Paul McKeever, um, he is the husband to our final girl, uh, Annie, um, even though they don't share the same last name. And I think that's because she comes from a rich, well, she comes from the plantation family, like an old school plantation, because obviously she's descended from the same plantation owner that, you know, yeah. killed Daniel, but like, you know, and all that. Um, but Paul is kind of like this New Orleans cook, you know, like or a chef, I should say. Like he doesn't, he's not in an upscale bar, but he's not in like a, a, a seedy one either. He's kind of like an in between type guy, um, kind of blue collar. So I mean, he's not really. I mean, he doesn't like. He doesn't have the the rich bullshit uh, vibes that like Trevor did in the first movie. Okay. Um, he's actually kind of empathetic i mean like he he's kind of a likable guy for when he's in the movie uh he was in thelma and louise ghostbusters 1984 uh beverly hills cop three and the hunt for red october and in the movie black sheep so he's been in several things okay 
Uh, we have Michael Bergeron playing Coleman Tarrant. Um, I believe um, if, I, if that one is their, like the father to Annie. And the story with that is way before Cabrini Green, uh, Coleman kept being attracted to this old plantation home that was like owned by, you know, Annie's mother or like, but they had given up on the house because they knew it, it was tied to the myth of the, or the story of the candy man. And, and her mother wanted to cut all that off. Like her mother's one of those old style Southern, you know, uh, ladies, if you want to call it, that's yeah. like all about prestige and that sort of thing. So she didn't want to have any attachment to it. So she, let the plantation home go in the disarray, um, which happens to be also the place where, you know, Candyman and his uh, paramour had their tryst. Uh, so, like, it, it means a lot to Candyman, that place does. But she let it go to seed. But, like, Coleman kept going back to it because there was something to it. Like, he just liked the place. And apparently he asked that he, he heard about the story of the Candyman. He summoned the Candyman, was killed in front of Ethan. Ethan was uh, sent to jail over it because it looked like he killed oh. his own father. And so that's why the family's been broke up all this time. So, you know, and Annie's kind of had to live without her, with her brother being in and out of jails and like her mother's like dying of cancer is uh, what it's established at the beginning of the movie. So her family's pretty much broken apart at this point in the story. Um, we have Matt Clark playing. Uh, Honore Thibodeau is how you say that name. Uh, he is kind of a uh, antique dealer on like one of the what is that major street on uh, in in New Orleans? They have Mardi Gras at uh, uh, French. I wanna, or... Is it no? That's French the French Street, Quarter. Yeah, something like uh, Bill Street. Is that right? Something like I, I'm probably confusing that with Memphis. I don't know. Like I can't really remember. But like he is along the main thoroughfare, like to the general public, he just sells like snow cones and that sort of thing. But like to, you know, like tourists, bourbon he street actually has like an bourbon. There you go. Um, but he has like an antique shop in the back and like he has, and the reason she goes to him in the movie is because he has, uh, some of the items that belonged to Daniel Robitaille back in the day and she because she's it's established in this movie that daniel whenever he was dying that's one of the origin scenes they show that his beloved had a mirror that she was holding there and when daniel as, as he died he looked into the mirror and his soul got trapped in it okay. and that's why he travels from mirror to mirror because that mirror holds his soul and he can travel to any other mirror in existence if you call it's on actually him. not a bad it, it's actually not a bad origin. Yeah, I, I, I don't I mind mean, that at all. That's actually, that that's a good explanation. Yeah, so, and so at this point, like, Annie goes to him because she thinks he has the mirror or knows something about it, you know, and, and she's trying, and, and so, and he's an antique dealer, so he would know, in theory, would have access to it. Um, Matt Clark's one of, like, those character actors that played, like, a, a Southern westerner in a lot of movies he was the if you ever watch back to the future part three he was the bartender in that which i know you've not seen those movies which kills me but we'll move on <laughs> uh, i love his character in that movie anyways but regardless it's a bit character but he does it well uh he was an outlaw josie wells uh the heat of the night the adventures of buckaroo bonsai across the eighth dimension the fuck? A hell of a title for a movie it's it's actually a fun movie but it is weird that's all i can mm, say okay uh, it, think of a, a low-grade sci-fi movie where they travel. It, they were traveling the multiverse before the multiverse was considered a thing, Okay, basically. 
um, Trilogy of Terror 2, House 3, The Horror Show, some of the movies he was in. Uh, David Giannopoulos plays Detective Ray uh, Levesque. Uh, he was in, uh, and he's kind of the detective that doesn't believe Ethan until Candyman shows a bitch what's up, basically. Yeah. So um, he's in Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, Air Force One, American Horror Story Asylum, uh, one episode of that. And then we have William O'Leary playing Ethan Tarrant. Uh, he was in Bull Durham and Hot Shots. I don't know if you ever saw those movies, but they were like uh, the uh, the Zucker Brothers version of um, the, like, um, whatever, the Top Gun movies yes. is what they were. So they, they, they were pretty fun. I don't remember um, Hot Shots, but I remember Hot Shots Part Two. I love that movie. Part two is the one that I love the most. Uh, there's just a line that, that I don't know why it just, as a kid, it always cracked me up. It stuck with me. They had the, this one and it's Miguel Ferreira, I think is the actor's name, but they had him like, he, he just popped, he looks at the camera, breaks the fourth wall and he has this line. It's like war. It's fantastic. Like, and it just cracked me up as a kid. Cause it was so goofy. Oh I don't know God. why. Um, and then we have Veronica Cartwright playing Octavia Tar- Tarrant. Veronica Cartwright is like horror royalty. She was in The Birds, Alien, Invasion of the Body Snatchers from 1978, which is a damn good movie. Uh, Witches of Eastwick, The Town That Dreaded Sundown in 2014. Scary Movie 2, you remember her as the mother at the beginning of the movie. The one that was like, you know, when um, uh, Natasha Leone walks in there and pisses on the floor and she gives her a look like, bitch, what are you doing in here? Like I told you to stay out. She's she's at the beginning of Scary Movie too. The one that was uh, doing the great rendition of Shake Your Ass, but watch yourself. Shake your ass. Yep, she that was her. That <laughs> was her. Um, she's younger in this movie, and she's she's not a bad looking lady. I mean, yeah, uh, she she is, and she's she's kind in Scary Movie too, but she's older in that movie. It came yeah. much later. So, uh, The Dark Below, The Invasion from two thousand seven. She was in an episode of Supernatural. She was in a, in an episode of uh, the. Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and she was in an episode of Twilight Zone. So Damn. she's been on a lot of horror stuff. Um, synopsis for this movie. Set in Nolens, uh, leading up to Mardi Gras, we learn of a family that's been torn apart years earlier by an appearance of the Candyman. It seems that they have a connection to the ghost of the killer, one that Octavia Tarrant seems to, wants to keep hidden. Unfortunately for her and her daughter Annie, the sins of the past have a way of resurfacing, and the Candyman won't let his own flesh and blood deny his existence. Hooks are ripping, bees are buzzing. What, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees! Not the bees! Ah! I don't have my eyes! And the Candyman's origin is expanded. <laughs> I'm going to miss not having that the entire episode after we're done with this. Uh, we'll have to find more B. We're going to have to go and review. review this is terrible of me saying this. Review My Girl. Do you remember oh. that movie? <laughs> <laughs> You're the worst. We can do that during human horror. Uh, we uh, That movie doesn't fit, but we'll do it anyways. Yeah. <laughs> uh, body count is a respectable nine. As I've said, Professor Philip Purcell gets uh, killed first, hooked in the back by Candyman. Uh, Paul McKeever gets hooked in the back and split from groin to gullet. 
Annie sees this, that, and that this is bad. You see her, your own husband, and she and she's to blame because she on a dare. Well, not really a dare. She does at school to prove to the kids that she watches over. They're kind of like they're impoverished children that she like kind of tries to help come out of their shells and stuff. Like she's, it's she's not really a real teacher, but she's more like a I, I don't know how you describe it, like an after school type, like you know, program to kind of help these kids or whatever like become creative like through the arts and stuff like that yeah because she it's established in the movie she's a painter like her great great granddaddy the you know the of candy course man. she is um but anyway she has summoned the candy man and she uh has a scene where she's kind of hypnotized like you know uh helen was in the first movie and then the candy man when she denies or tells the candy man that she won't join him then he to prove to, to her that he will make her, you know, regret that decision. She kills her, uh, he kills her husband right in front of her. And like, it's bad. Like, I mean, he gets like tore up from the floor up basically. I mean, <laughs> Literally. way worse than most of Yeah. Way worse than most other people do in the movie. Uh, Coleman Tarrant is found killed by the candy man in a flashback. Uh, Honore Thibodeau beat all the hell. <laughs> what, what is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast! Not the beast! He, I'm going to say it right now. He has best death in any of these movies. I mean, it's <laughs> it's out there, but it's fun because the Candyman just doesn't care with him. Like, he throws every bee that he's got at Thibodeau, and Thibodeau's, like, face is even start like, the amount of pustules and, like, swelling he has makes him look Damn. like a fucking mutant whenever they... And he gets thrown through a wall, too, so the wall throwing probably kills him, but the bees damn sure didn't make it easy on oh, him either. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Um, <clears throat> um, Detective Ray Levesque gets hooked through the back and thrown through a window. This happens in the police station where Ethan is currently being held, and Ethan uses it as an excuse to break out, but unfortunately, as he's running down the steps, another one of the detectives sees him fleeing, and he shoots Ethan, killing him. So Damn. Ethan gets killed by the cops, basically. Detective Ray uh, sounds like he got Jason Voorhees. He did. He was sitting there talking to Ethan and telling him that all this stuff was made up, and that he that he's uh, and and at this point, they they think that Andy has killed her husband just like you know like brother like you know sister apparently uh but they don't have nothing to hold her on so she's kind of out on bail but he's trying to get ethan to rat on his sister okay. trying to get him to say you know the the candy man's not real you're full of shit you know throw your sister under the bus and we might be able to work out a deal for you yeah and uh at that point uh that's when the candy man pops up and basically shows him that you know i'm i'm not a myth bitch i'm I'm here and you're dead. Bitch, so. you thought. <laughs> uh, and actually, toward the end of the movie, there's another one of the detectives that has been pursuing Annie throughout most of this. Uh, and she's more sympathetic to Annie. And when she's reviewing the uh, playback of the, the, the room, the scene, she sees Detective Ray get lifted up off the ground by nobody, and suddenly his back starts getting ripped apart and his spine exposed. So she knows for a fact that some shit's gone down yeah. that, ain't, that ain't kosher, is all I'm going to say. And she lets Annie escape, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, I don't know how she explained it to the cops because she literally ran right past, or uh, Annie ran right past her. So when they came up 
to her. I don't know how she explained because she didn't even ask Annie to punch her or anything. You know how they normally do in the movie? It's oh, like, yeah. So it looks like, you you know, she didn't do any of that stuff. So I don't know how she explained it away, but, you know, movie logic and that sort of thing. Uh, Octavia is stabbed in the back with a hook by Candyman, but she's it's been established that she's died of cancer anyways, like breast cancer that came back, which is sad. Eesh. It's, you know, but, yeah. I mean, you know, it's one of those things. Where I, she doesn't really care that she's dying so much. She's more worried. I, it's actually kind of bad in that scene because she's more worried about the fact that uh, Annie is giving into the Candyman stuff, and that's what Octavia even even with Octavia saying that the Candyman stuff is real, she's still holding on to that old Southern pride. She doesn't want her daughter to like tie their yeah her, their history back to him. In that, in that sense. Uh, Daniel Robitaille is, uh, has his hand cut off. He's stung to death and, you know, and all that stuff. They, they show his origin. Of how what, what, is that? what is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the beast! That's the one bad part of this movie is that there's the scene. I do like the scene where they, they show his, like, lover, like, you know, with the, the mirror and everything. Yeah. But they show this tree that's out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, there's not a part of Louisiana that looks like this. It, yeah. it looks like a barren field with one tree. It, I, you could probably see something like that in Alabama or Georgia, but not Louisiana because it's too overgrown. But anyways, yeah. there's a bare field with one solid tree that they took the beehive from, and they had these CGI bees that pop up and, like, fly in this bit, and then they cover Daniel or whatever as he's dying or whatever. And it, the, the CGI bee storm looks bad for the time, so I'm going to say. I mean, it, it, just, it does. Yeah. Uh, and then the Candyman himself in current times is turned in the glass uh, in the sense that when she breaks the mirror, he becomes pieces of glass himself, and then he shatters, you know, so that's how she kills him. Okay. It's it's not a bad way to kill him, I mean, in yeah. theory. I mean, if he, he's tied to the mirror and she destroys the mirror, it's kind of like in Supernatural destroying the one tie that he has to reality, so he should be gone, you know? Yeah, but you, I've also heard, because this is why they say breaking a mirror is bad luck for seven years, is that breaking a mirror, you can allow them to escape that. It, it's like it's a portal, and they're trapped behind it, which clearly he's not. Obviously, the lore has been established. He's not trapped behind the mirror. But breaking the mirror allows them into our realm. Yeah, I, I could see that. I mean, because the, that is the, the theory on why you don't break mirrors. Is yeah. Because, I mean, you, you allow things to cross over that live in the other, the, the other dimension or whatever it is. Um, I, I, that's just what the movie says, so I'm just going with it. Well, I don't like it. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Uh, quotes from the movie Uh, Candyman swallow your horror and let it nourish you come with me and sing the song of misery share my world that is beautiful it it actually is it's very I can't fault the second but they tried I mean it's there's the acting is not stellar across the board there are some highlights Annie's not bad Octavia or you know uh, you know by the horror elite that you know the actor says she's she's good tony todd's awesome um the guy who plays uh annie's husband is he's okay uh ethan's a little bit overacting at parts and then um if i was going to say and then the guy who plays uh uh Ray thibodeau he 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 he's more he's character acting so it's kind of a little bit out there but it's fun so he's fine 
Yeah. But uh, there's a few weak spots in the movie when it comes to, like, acting. I will say the guy who plays Philip, he does a knock, knock down, drag out job at the beginning of it. He He's he's good. So, yeah. But he's only in it for, like, a few minutes. Um, Octavia Tarrant. Uh, this is dark. Uh, death is a return, you know. We leave life just like we came in. Uh, Annie, and this is, she's just woke up from having this terrible dream about the candy man taking her, her mother away from her. Uh, she, and she's kind of freaked out. She said, uh, in response to this about, we returned the way we came in, she's like alone. And her mother's like, no, naked, blind and covered in her own shit. <laughs> that's, I mean, that's a pretty dark take on, you know, how we die. I mean, yeah, it's not wrong, but it's, it's, I don't want to think that way. Um, <laughs> Philip Purcell, I believe in the myth, but the fact, the flesh and blood, no, I'm afraid not. And that's the moment he damns himself because he's, he denies the Candyman. For shame. Uh, uh, this one's not too bad. The Candyman says, I am the writing on the wall, the whisper in the classroom. Yeah, um, I'm taking I feel like that was said in the first movie yeah. or like a variation of it. Uh. This is kind of a retread. Be my witness. See how I became the reflection of their hatred, their evil. See what it means to call uh, me by that name. Okay. Um, I like the the kind of the dual meanings. I became the reflection. I mean, yeah. he, re- he literally is. I mean, yeah. he lives in the mirror. Uh, Honoré Thibodeau uh, tells... Uh, in his as he's dying or right before he dies, he does tell Annie how to you know deal with this. He tells her break the mirror, break the curse. I mean, you know, how did he learn simple, this though? If he didn't do it, I, he's supposed to be like a scholar and like the you know like the regional like stuff. Basically, he's yeah. kind of like the Bobby Singer, if you will, of the of this area. So. Uh, but he's a piece of shit on top of that. He's like Bobby. I'm trying to think of some other characters of Supernatural that collected, like, you know, wasn't there like an angel? Wasn't a, which angel was that that collected like the Supernatural relics or whatever from heaven that was a complete asshole that was kind of like a, a like a Gordon Ramsay type character? Like, oh, I can't remember which yeah. angel it was. I know exactly who you're talking about, too. And he was like, he was charming, but he was an asshole. That, that's honore that's what honore yeah. is in this story he's an asshole but he he he's got like a little bit of a southern charm to him you know yeah uh review of the movie the visuals they're not as good as the first movie you can tell that there was a downgrade uh even the lighting of the movie looks a little bit cheaper they have a lot of like daytime scenes that have that natural lighting and quotation marks where it looks like, I, I mean, it, it just does, it doesn't look like a film in other words, like in certain places. Yeah. Uh, and the contrast between the light and the dark, like they did in the first movie, it's not really here. Um, the, uh, story, I do like parts of it. I like how they set up the, they, i like the connection with Philip at the beginning of it. I like how he died. I like the, the, the mirror origin. That's actually not bad, even though it is kind of, but they, See, if you watch the first movie, and this is what I said about the phone game. If you watch the first movie, they established that Daniel, well, or just the Candyman, because he's not Daniel Robitaille, he died at Cabrini Green. That's why he is tied there. That's why he he was in Chicago when he was killed, meaning everything that happened happened in Chicago. Now, that could have happened in Chicago. It would have made 
way more sense if it happened in a southern plantation in Louisiana. So I actually like the moving of it to Louisiana, but it doesn't fit the continuity of the first movie because Philip says point blank in the first movie that he died at Cabrini Green. Yeah. And in this one, he dies out in a random field in Louisiana. So you're changing the story up a little bit. Um, it's I do like the fact that they brought his family into it. I feel like uh, the original plot for the second movie was going to be that Helen was going to be the killer in it, which would have been really cool, I think. Yeah. They would have continued from the end of the first movie. I would movie. have liked that. If they would have had Helen be the killer, even though Tony Todd knocks it out of the park, yeah. they could have even had him come back in. He could have been like, you know, like, they could have been like, I don't know, Bonnie and Clyde or something. Yeah, like that's what like, I'm thinking. You know, working an angle or something. Yeah. But you bring in you bring in his descendants. That makes sense. And, yeah. and actually, Helen would have fit in that story, too, because they're her descendants as well. Yes, so, they are. Yes, they are. Um, also, uh, just to, to jump in, Baltazar was the angel that we're talking about. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that that's his name. Um, yeah, Honoré kind of has those vibes going on. Um, but... I, I like that part portion of the story, but I don't, and, and I like the idea that there was another family. I mean, her family that was already attacked by the Candyman years before he ever gained popularity anywhere else. Yeah. It's just that there there's other things in the story. I mean, it, it's just, it's, there's none of the Gothic flair that they had in the first movie. So it doesn't have any of that pizzazz to it. It's like a fairly straightforward, like almost ghost story in this one. Yeah. More than anything and that, else. that definitely would make it less enjoyable or less of a cult classic as the first one was. You got to keep that in there. And we know that Tony Todd is amazing. There's no taking that away, but like there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I mean, you're retreading the same ground, and they do. And and Tony Todd admitted that on, like, the special features for this movie. He said the second one did retread a lot of the same ground as the first one with some changes. Uh, he said his personal favorite's first one. I have to agree with him. Oh, it yeah. is. It's the best. But he said he actually has met fans that prefer the second one because okay. it does have – it has more graphic kills, uh, has more of them. And it, it's, like I said, it's more straightforward. It loses the gothic romance for, like, a straight-up slasher yeah. you know, angle or okay. whatever. Okay, I mean, so, I can respect that. Um, Like I said, the acting is a mixed bag. It's not as strong as in the first movie, but it's not terrible. It's not like part three where it's trashed across the board. I mean, yeah. the, the, the final girl, the protagonist, she's good. Um, Victoria... Uh, who plays Octa- uh, I believe her name plays Octavia or Veronica plays Octavia. She's really good as the matriarch of the family. Um, the, and Tony Todd's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's just some of the side characters are not as strong in this one. Yeah. Uh, and then the music, the music's Philip Glass. So it's as good as it was in the first movie. I don't, it doesn't stand out as much as the first movie. Cause I, so I'm thinking they didn't use it as well in certain cases, but they use it enough to where it, 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 feels good it just doesn't feel as as great as it does in the first one yeah um trivia for this movie uh bernard rose originally conceived a sequel to his 1992 hit Candyman, uh as not featuring the eponymous character at all but instead continuing to explore the nature of urban horror myths this was quickly uh killed by the producers uh when they figured that audiences would show up uh, only show up because they wanted to see the Candyman eviscerate his victims Ooh. I see the I see the producers saying that, but I think the idea of like Helen or some other like urban myth, like 
in place of the Candyman, if they didn't call it Candyman, but they went like some other direction with a name, I could see that working um, to a certain extent. Yeah. Um, but you always want to build off uh, name recognition if you build a brand, so I could kind of see the other side of it too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, but you better have some other substance too, because you could ruin yeah. that person. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I mean, it's we saw it with, uh, I mean, even on Elm Street, you got some of the later sequels, and it's just like, what do we got here? This carbon copy, watered down Freddy. Like, what is this shit? Yeah, you know, it's like. There was a few standouts in in those in that era, but like they were side projects more as rather than sequels. Um, Bernard, who wrote and directed Candyman, was asked to pen a script for the sequel, but it was rejected. Do we know what that script That's was? A, uh, we really don't. Yeah. I'm sure that it. Uh, I mean, you know, he. I don't know if it went along with his. I mean, if they turned him down, but then they asked him or. Uh, to write a sequel, obviously it would have been a different direction, but even with that, they were still like, nope, we're not going to go with it. That's a slap in the face. Yeah. Made such a classic as first movie, and then they're just like, nope, we don't want you. You know? Yeah. Fuck off. Fuck you then. (laughs) Tuesday Night, which we've already discussed on Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4, was reported to have turned down a role, claiming it uh, it was the only horror film she regrets turning down. I'm assuming that she was going to be like the lead actress in this movie because um, she was blonde or, you know, at least died blonde at the time. Yeah. Uh, bleach blonde. So I don't, she never made that much of an impact on me in Nightmare on Elm Street 4. And I have not seen her other work, so I can't really say. I think Kelly Rowan did a pretty good job as Annie. So yeah. I, if she was cast as Annie instead, I don't know how that would have went. Um, this is a big one. There was much controversy about the poster that was used to advertise the film. During this time that this came out, the O.J. Simpson trial was still very public and ongoing, so the picture of a black man stalking a white woman was seen as controversial, and the original artwork was quickly omitted. Oh, fuck off. Uh, All I'm saying is if you look at the, the artwork that they've used since then, it's basically a, it's Kelly looking into a mirror and, and she's surrounded by an outline of bees. So, I mean, <laughs> that's what they've used in place. What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no, not the bees. They had to. You had to. Yeah. Had to get one more in there before we get out of here. Um, I don't know. I, I, that speaks a lot to the, to stuff going on at the time that that was a black man stalking a white woman was seen as controversial just saying yeah for a film where the black man is stalking a white woman (laughs) two white women in this case multiple probably honestly uh the final bit of trivia for this movie is that mrs tarant refers to her physician dr loomis which Uh, is an obvious reference to halloween yeah Oh my god! Um, you know, I heard somebody talking on a podcast today, or actually, it was just a YouTube stream about how they prefer Halloween two because it's more of a slasher film than Part one is, and they're not wrong. I don't like Part two, but because I think Part one's a, and they didn't argue that Part one wasn't a masterpiece, but they like Part two better because it's a better slasher. It fits the mold better. Yeah. That might be why people prefer part two of this, because this is more of a straight-up slasher than than what Candyman 1 is. 
I mean, that, that might be why, why they prefer it. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, some and, people do. Like, I mean, like someone like me would probably look at that and be like, oh, I like this one better. We got more kills. Had I not fallen in love with the original story, like literally loving that story so much that I'm like, this is fucking a masterpiece, you know? Yeah, and I, I don't know how you can see the first one and then see the second one and, and think that personally. I mean, yeah. it's just hands down the first one is so much better. The first uh, one mean, would have had wise. to have been just a slasher without so much a storyline because sometimes that's what we get from slashers is it starts off as just kind of a slasher without, like, you, you don't need a whole backstory or anything, but usually a pretty good storyline of this is the lore of this killer and blah, 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 and everyone's afraid and ooh, it's a spooky story, and then they legitimately get killed. Uh, that's tale as old as time, but this one, the romantic story behind it and the actual historical fact of the plight of black people, you know, in, in history and everything and how it was possible despite so much hate, you know, uh, white women, white men did fall in love with, you know, black people. It it happens, you know? So I think that because they did that, played it so well, and made you fall in love with the characters and what they were supposed to be, you know, I think that because of all of that, it wasn't just a slasher. It was that plus a slasher. If that were the case, if it didn't have all that, I would have definitely looked at number two and be like, yeah, hell yeah, more kills? Fuck yeah. <laughs> um, it's also a preference, I would imagine, too, on like how you want your story presented because this one straight up shows Daniel being like, you know, held down by a bunch of like, uh, you know, an angry Southern mob and having his arm chopped off, the blood squirting out, the hook being shoved in, and then, of course, the bees. Yeah. Not <laughs> uh, the bees. And, uh, not the bees. Um, but it shows it. And like I, like we mentioned in the, you know, first part of this episode, like I prefer in part one where the story is told by, you know, Philip, and then later we see the mural that like, fills in the gaps like you know and then let and and fills in a way that your brain your own creative mind can imagine it and make it much worse than what you can see on film if you understand what i'm saying yeah uh it's it's but it's some people prefer just seeing all of it on the on the film side and not and don't really want to put like the effort in on their side to imagine it so uh, it's understandable and maybe that's why they prefer it but i like whenever you uh, meet the audience halfway and you, and because the, I mean, the scariest things like that you can, in a lot of movies are suggested. They're not actually shown that. I mean, really, cause I mean, your brain, whatever scares you the most, your brain will fill in and th- that'll make it much more scary as opposed to seeing it on a movie screen, you know? Yeah. Um, cause I mean, a lot of cases it's whatever scares the director or the people making the movie, and that doesn't necessarily scare you, you know, in that sense. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, that goes back, that's something I remember, uh, that was a brilliant thing that was said, I think it was by Clive Barker, uh, I'm, I'm sure, I know it was, uh, talking in part one, um, he said that horror was very personal, and he's not wrong. He said, when you go to the movie theater, he said, yes, you're surrounded by people and they're all reacting. But he said the horror is, is internalized. It's your, it's whatever demons, whatever dark things in your past, whatever, you know, traumas you have you are inside of you is reacting to the movie that creates the horror. It's uh, you are the only one experiencing the terror. 
yeah. while other people around you. He's not wrong. Yeah, I fucking Clive Barker. <laughs> I swear he's a he's a he's a creator of like mindfuck horror. <laughs> hey, he's he's damn good at his jobs. All I can say. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those things where uh, horror is so personal, and I just. I feel like if to do it right, it's you get more out of it if you if you have to do a little bit of the legwork and but so like I said, some people don't like that. So yeah, um, Death Holler awards for this movie, Annie. She is more of a final girl. She has an arc. She like is a kind of a you know a, a well meaning. She's almost virginal, even though she has a husband. And it does show that they're very passionate with each other. So they have a good relationship, and, and they do. Yeah, they do take care of each other, not just in a sexual way. I okay. mean, like, you know, but uh, she's more of like a do-gooder type than what Helen was in the first. She's not seeking this shit out like Helen was. Like, she's just caught in it, basically. Yeah. Like most final girls, they're just caught in the situation, and they have to deal with it. Uh, the Candyman's more of a straight-up slasher. He, you know, repeatedly uh, kills everyone around Annie, you know, until the point where she she has, he confronts her and he, you know, was like, there's no way out of this. You, you will be, you know, you will join me or whatever. I will have my, you know, blood restored or, and then like, you know, she makes the choice to betray him in a sense and break the mirror. So she does take the power back. And so she is more of a final girl than what Helen was in that sense. Yeah. Um, Candyman similarly was in the first movie. He's, they don't, and this is one part that I don't like about the second movie. They don't portray him as, as empathetic and, and, and sad. And, and, you know, you don't get, you don't get the full Candyman out of this movie. I mean, Tony, it's not to say Tony Todd doesn't act his ass off, yeah. but he's more of a, a, he's more of the soft spoken stalker in this movie. You know, he doesn't have all the other stuff going on like in the first movie. Yeah. He think he'd have a little bit more vengeance. They should have, they should have, they should have portrayed a, a, a more of a vengeance because he was done dirty by his one true love. Well, she didn't do anything to him. Like actually, it was her father that did that. So well, no, no, I mean, no, no, no. I know. I'm she, talking about, but from the previous film, or is this a prequel? Oh well, yeah. If they were, if they were tying it into that, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, I feel like that be a would... sequel because they mentioned they mentioned Helen uh, Helen's death and they show her picture in a newspaper obituary at the beginning of the movie so yeah, they do so, tie it in yeah i think that would help the movie kind of move on without her and then at that point that leaves a pretty good opening for another good film where both of them are in it if you know i don't know if that's possibly a thing um i do appreciate the fact Though that unlike the third movie, he doesn't have the seeming seemingly have the hots for his uh, you know great grandchild or, or you know as it were uh, that grossed me out in the third movie. Like I mean, he straight up French kisses with the bees and everything in his mouth, um, and you know, and, and it's very sexualized in the third movie. Whereas in this one, he it's more of like you know how you would imagine interacting with your grandchild or something like that. He's, you know, in a sinister way, I guess, but he, he doesn't have like, there's no romantic relationship between him and Annie. It's all about the fact that she is his bloodline and that, you know, and that sort of thing. And he feels possessive of it. Um, best kill is Honoré Thibodeau, (laughs) not the bees. My, What is that? What is that? What is it? Oh, no. You just love when they get swarmed by the bees. 
Um, it actually is a pretty cool death in the movie. It's it's different, so I'll give it that. Uh, best scream in the movie is Annie when she sees her husband split in two by the Candyman. Oh uh, yeah, that'd I be hope a good so. Time to, that'd be a good time to scream. Just saying. Yeah. You know? Uh, like no 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 no, no don't cut that. I need that. I need that. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't cut that off. That's he he's better off dead if you do. Yeah. I'll just kill him if you've already cut that far down. I mean, fuck. No life be uh, after best, that. This does get a best boobs, but not for any of the main characters in the movie. So they there's scenes in the movie, and I don't know if it's just to show some tits and ass to build character that is Mardi Gras. It kind of does both, but they show scenes of people like legit fucking each other, like buck ass naked, like on the streets of Bourbon Street. Oh like, god! It's like like the like the main characters are out like looking at the shit going on you know during Mardi Gras and there's people out there just getting nasty and there's like boobs flopping so that's where you get your boobs in this movie oh. just a bunch of hoes on Mardi Gras you know doing Mardi Gras shit so. you know if i were to go to Mardi Gras everyone's like oh new new orleans with your family and i was like okay but not during Mardi Gras i don't care if my kids see some tits that that shit's going to happen they watch horror films they're going to see tits what i don't want to see is live fucking on this, I don't even want to see that shit. <laughs> well, that's what's going on in this movie. Like, they look up, and there's like, it's now, granted, these people are at least, they're above the street. They're actually on a balcony, but they're still just out there just, you know, giving it their all, like, you know. I wonder if that else. really happens. I think that has happened out in San Francisco during Pride. I'm sure uh, that's a thing. That I've doesn't heard, surprise me. I've actually. heard of a, a lot of gay festivals, or I, I shouldn't say gay. I think I think in the past they were called gay, but the, now the pride uh, parades and festivals, I hear that there's live fuckery going on, so I don't know. <laughs> well, this was heterosexual fuckery, so there's that. I mean, Well, yeah, you know. like I said, I mean, it doesn't... It, it, even heterosexual couples could do that, I guess, during Pride. Uh, you won't see me getting an explosion inside of me during the 4th of July parade, okay, is all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of gross, uh, any kind of PDA to that extent. Yeah. Personal feeling, but, I mean, whatever. Uh, best side character in the movie, I'm going to give this to Philip. I mean, even though he's a, kind of an ass in the first movie, and I almost gave him a Franklin Award, uh, uh, I do like him at the beginning of this movie because he does a good job, like, of setting up the film. And uh, he's not, I mean, he's a he's shitbagging the fact that he stole Helen's research and claimed it as his own, but, like, he pays for that. Yeah. So it's not like he, he goes unpunished for it. He paid his debt to um, society. He served his nickel. He's serving it in hell, but, you know. <laughs> he's uh, taking pineapples up the keister along with Hitler. Uh that's a little Nicky reference for you because I know you love that movie. Love so. that movie. <laughs> uh, Franklin Award goes to Detective Ray Levesque because, I mean, he's one of those assholes that the entire movie is just, like, chasing down both or, like, Ethan and, like, Annie and, like, just, you know, giving them hell even though he's that unbelieving cop. It's like there's no such thing as a candy man until he gets ripped open by the candy man. It's always the non-believers, you know? <laughs> Uh, how annoying is the Doom Prophet? Ethan is a straight-up Doom Prophet. That's another thing this movie has. It's more like a straight-up slasher. Ethan, from the very first few minutes of the movie, is screaming about the Candyman being a threat, about how he's real, and that people should uh, you know, pay more attention to the whole thing. So he, he is a Doom Prophet. Um, dumbest moment in the movie? Just, I mean, Annie's not as bad as Helen, but um, 
she does whenever there's a kid in her classroom that, you know, she, to try to make her kids feel safer, she calls the candy man. Uh, she says his name five times. God. Uh, to try to disprove, to try to disprove that there is such a thing. See you guys. It ain't real. Oh my God. She, she's on her dumb shit. <laughs> As dumb but, white mean, people shit. Yeah, I mean, you don't fuck around with that. You, this is going on a submersive underwater to see the Titanic white shit. You don't tug on Superman's cape. You don't spit in the wind. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't mess around with Jim or the Candyman. Shut up. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm good. This podcast is over. That is it. We're ending it right now. Good night, folks. Just kidding. <laughs> Uh, I know, are you glad that you didn't see this one? Um, I, it, yes, kind of. I'm, I'm actually a little curious though. I'm not going to lie. Um, I have to see what the hubby says about it. Um, I, I, I obviously it's want, not, it's not up to the same quality as the first one. It just is. Oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I don't know why I'm curious to see it, especially after I said I, I didn't want to do it because I just loved the first one so much. I was like, I don't want to ruin what I've seen. Uh, will I watch it? I don't know. I'll, I'll let you guys know if uh, if I do because uh, I, I don't know. I have, I have this weird curiosity. Maybe I should just go say Candyman five times in the mirror, you know? Yeah, I was getting ready to say you sound like you're on your dumb shit by yeah. you know, tempting fate. <laughs> I also have if he's like it's dumb. I mean, I'm not gonna watch it. I, I don't know. Um, yeah. Don't don't watch parts. Don't watch Day of the Dead. It's 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 not worth your time. Yeah, I mean, all. I'm I'm not gonna do that one. I have no curiosity for that one, especially called Day of the Dead. And you're making fun of my people. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. I didn't hate it. It it wasn't as bad as some of the sequel slashers we've gotten some other franchises, but Candyman the first one is so fucking good. You you, you just can't follow that up. You re- unless you would have done a really good story with Helen. Yeah, I don't know. That's the that's the only way. Yeah, I don't know why they didn't continue it. I wonder how good it could have been if they had included Helen or continued on with her story and still had the candy man come back. Like, bitch, you thought I was gone. Um, you can't escape me, but then that would have looked bad. Cause it just looked like a toxic, abusive, you know, black man coming after a white woman, which was not good for yeah. the times. I don't know. Um, yeah. The, since we're, I mean, we're at this point, we've got, I mean, a little bit of time here. Uh, I will say that, the remake is not bad for what it is for most of the movie. It's actually got some good lore behind it in the sense that the Candyman in that movie, he doesn't actually kill appear in reality whatsoever. He, when he kills you, he kills you within eye shot or, you know, visual uh, angles of a mirror. He, he kills you within, he kills your mirror self and you die in, 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 the, in our reality the same way that your mirror self dies. Yeah. That's not bad. That's not bad That's at not all. bad. Um, and he's got a different story behind him. He was like, he actually, I mean, he actually was a candy man in the sense that he was a good hearted, just Joe Schmo in that movie. If I remember right, that gave candy out to the kids. Like he was one of those guys that anytime he saw like, you know, the kids in the ghetto, 
you know, he, he made, he went out of their way to try to make their day better by giving them candy. And he was accidentally shot like, you know, uh, by a police officer and, and wrongly, you know, I don't know that they were, I think they were after another uh, person and he was caught in the crossfire. Maybe if I remember it right, I might be misremembering, but anyways, he was killed, you know, accidentally. And so that's why he, you know, became the, you know, the candy man or came back or whatever, because he was wrongly killed. Uh, and through most of the movie, there there is some good stuff to it, but it came out during the summer of love, as we like to call it, where all the shit was on fire. Yeah, and they had to throw in the last ten minute bullshit because it's Jordan Peele, and you know he he can't let a message go without throwing it in there just a little bit because I mean he didn't direct it, but he produced it. Yeah, and the last 10 minutes is literally showing these racist white cops uh, doing their best to attack the black protagonist in the movie. Uh, no one, you know, not believing them. And then the candy man wrecking their shit. And that's, that's the last few minutes of the movie. And it sours the entire thing before because it's extremely heavy handed, like really bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we got, when we did RIP last year, at uh, HHN, yeah, we got to meet uh, the Candyman. Did you see that? I don't know if I did. There's a video. Uh, yeah, there's a video. I, I think I posted it to my Instagram. But my son, holy crap! So it's one of those. It's a jump scare photo where he's standing there like a wax figure. Actor was amazing. Looked just like him. But when they take your picture, when the flash goes off, he turns and he swings at you. My son decided to move. And if you watch that video in slow motion, you can see my (laughs) son's hair get caught by the blade. It's not a real blade, obviously. Oh, my God. Yeah, but oh, yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a, I was like, what the fuck? (laughs) This is before we knew he was autistic, guys, okay? (laughs) So, yeah, that, that, that was fun, but, um... Going back to the whole new Candyman, yeah, I, I I think my husband has seen it. He does not like it. That's a shame about the woke stuff because I think the first story was so fucking beautiful, you know, and I think it really it did. Is. It made you feel. It made you feel uh, for this black man that had been through so much just because he loved a woman, you know. If I remember right about the new one there are some cringe scenes in addition to the, the ending that I kind of just rolled my eyes at, but it's literally like, you know, uh, there's a, there's some white people in with some black people in the movie, the white people say some stuff. And then the black people say something like that's what white people would think, or, you know, one of those comments or whatever. And that, there's a lot of little jabs like that throughout the movie, uh, that, that, you know, might not matter to some people, but like, you know, I was already feeling like, you know, uh, burnt during that. I mean, you know, and I guess that's the way to say it. Like during the summer of love, like there was just so much discontent amongst all the, you know, like whites and blacks and everybody else involved that, that year because of stuff that went on. And like, I was like, this is not the shit we need right now to bring us together. We don't need more people poking, you know, the bear as it yeah. were. And I just, I, and I, it, it, it wore on me bad. Like yeah. it really did. Yeah. So I, I just, and like you said, the first Candyman, the original Candyman from 1992, it gave you that stuff, but it gave you in a context that everybody, I mean, 
could, you know, it, it didn't preach to anybody. It didn't browbeat anybody. It was mm-hmm. like, this is what happened. Yeah. You know I mean, and, and it presented a way that's like, shit, this is some bad. Like, I mean, no matter who you were, you, you, you felt bad about what was going on for the people involved. It presented it in a way to where you're like, I understand why he's the way he is. And you fucking go on with your bad self. And then you're yeah. like, whoa, 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 wait a second. Whoa, 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 you're taking it too far, buddy. Too far, too far. <laughs> Run, everyone. He's losing his mind. Yeah, I mean, so it just goes to show that you can present, I wouldn't even say woke, you can present present human stories. Yes, human. You know, human stories in a way that uh, everybody can kind of get into and and actually gets the point across better to the people you're trying to target with that message than just sitting there the entire movie saying, you're white, you suck. Yeah. Sit here and let us tell you why you suck, you know. Especially when he loves a white woman. Like, how are you going to fucking tell that, you know? (laughs) Well, they could get by with it in the sequel because that Candyman didn't have that backstory at all. Oh, okay. You know. Take the white woman out. He just tried to... He tried to look, you know, look out for the black kids in the neighborhood. Some white cops killed him, and that was his origin story. So. I do like at least the fact that he gave the kids candy, which is a little creepy. But at the same time, it makes sense, you know, the candy man. Yeah. Yeah, that's why they would call him that. Yeah. Know? So, I uh, I don't know. That's that's It's a damn shame is what it is when they do that to the movies and – it, it turned people, it's like, okay, well, we're just going to make this film likable to a marginal group of people versus everyone can fight something they like about this film, you know? Well, yeah. I mean, if you if you make the film, like you said, have the human element to it, 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 it gets your point across better. It just really does. Like, I mean... You can have you can have the message get to the people. Well, actually, anybody who watches the movie and, and, and it's more impactful that way. I mean, you're you are experiencing that along with him because no matter what people say, I mean, you might not have lived the same life experiences, but if you present a story in the right way, you can live that story no matter what background you came from. That's what the best stories do. That I mean, that's like you know I've. Like, people say this all the time about, like, comic books. It's like, you know, or, or like, and the things I hate about newer movies, we have to represent each individual group. Uh, I mean, like, uh, I'm an impoverished, redheaded, you know, kid from Appalachia, so I can only, you know, appreciate somebody with the same background, same hair color, same, you know, ethnicity. No, I mean, I've, I've seen plenty of movies where I can empathize with a character. I mean, like, a perfect example of that is... Um, you want to talk about uh, the Shawshank Redemption. Like uh, Morgan Freeman's character in that movie is very empathetic and very human, and you can empathize with his story about a kid who did some stupid shit whenever he was younger because he was in a bad, you know, bad neighborhood, kind of like the people from Cabrini Green, got sent to prison, and he regret. And then over time, he regretted what he'd done in his youth, but he was still serving his time and couldn't do anything about it. You can empathize with that, even if you're not from that background. You yeah. Can, I mean, the way that they present it. Um, so if, if you want to tell a good story and get a message across, make it a human story. Make it a story that everybody can find something to be part of. Yeah, and not even have to relate to, but at least understand. That's like um, 
Chris Gore has been like, you know, promoting this movie called uh, RRR that's like, you know, and it's really good. And it's, it's in a weird sense, it's like a, almost a superhero version of how like India got their independence from Britain. And it talks about like the two main leaders of the opposition and it presents it more like a song and dance type movie or whatever with like superhero style, like uh, Bollywood type stuff going on. But it's a damn good movie, and you and even if you're not like you know of Indian descent or or have anything to do with that, you can empathize with the characters wanting to oppose uh, this group of like you know oppressors that have moved in and like basically taken their own country away from them. I yeah. mean, the way they present it, it it makes sense. Um, anyways, I mean that's just I I just don't like the remake because it it, it preaches instead of shows the, the you know the the characters. Basically. Yeah. Kind of probably similar. It sounds similar kind of to the, the new Freddy where it could have been a great film, but then they just take a drastic turn with the child molestation. That, yeah, that's a different sort of thing. But yeah. yeah. It's like, I don't know. Uh, I mean, that's a great way to hate your your main protag- or main antagonist. And I don't, I don't disagree with that. But at the same time, it's like, I don't know how you're supposed to be empathetic in any way, shape or form with him because like he wasn't wrongly killed. Like I agree with the people that took him out. Like, yeah. I, and you know, and they can't convince me that mob justice didn't do the right thing because he was legit molesting those children in that movie. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to add any, I mean, besides Leanne to it and that sort of thing. Um, no, not really. I mean, other than the fact that I'm taking over Leanne into it. Uh, if you guys wanted to go check that out, the Reverend joined us on our most recent episode where I, the topic that I was manning with the episode was actually about women. And I randomly threw some topics at the Reverend and my husband and asked them how they felt about the situation and naturally gave them my input. Um, I think we were all pretty much on the same page. Uh, the what's wrong with women question was my favorite one. Uh, that really threw you guys both for a loop, which was hilarious. I don't think you guys were expecting that. No, I mean, that's, that's kind of a, that's the kind of a question that you get whopped upside the head with. Yes. I mean, it's like, so what would you say is wrong with women? <laughs> like how, what? how bad? How bad am I going to look after this? Am I going to have to have a whole PR team to get me out of this once I've explained what I'm going to say? Well, that's the beauty of Leanne into it. It's actually lean into it, and you just need to fucking lean into it. Uh, and I think it it went surprisingly well. I can't believe we talked as long as we did, and I can't believe I uh, took took a whole show. Uh, my goal of this being on this show right now is to um, ruin it just enough or get enough complaints that uh, my hubby's co-host will come back. So (laughs) it worked the last time. I have faith and confidence in myself that I can do it. Well, or maybe you'll do the opposite. You'll do such a good job that you'll make him jealous and he'll come back to try to show you, show you up. I mean, that, you know, whichever one works is fine with me. I, that's, <laughs> that's where I'm at on the whole situation. So, yeah, if you want to catch us, I, we're not being consistent right now. Uh, Leanne into it. I don't know if we're going to try to do a week or every other week episode. Uh, so, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I think if I'm going to be on there anymore than one, I, I mean, than that one episode uh, every other week sounds better because it would fit in between the episodes of this show. Oh yeah, you know. exactly. And yeah, you're welcome to join on anyone that I, I'll put it out there. Hey, we're going to do a show, and if you're available, great. If not, it's fine. Um, 
you know, but yeah, it worked really well having you on there. And I was, uh, it was weird because I know on this podcast, we kind of have a set goal. This is what we're going to talk about. These are how, this is how we're going to talk about it. And we outline it pretty well. And the hubby likes to jump in with random shit and sometimes <laughs> discussions slash arguments. And I'm like, that's fine. That's not what this is about. Um, Leanne into it. Totally fine. That's, that's supposed to be his show. Even though, like I said, last episode I took over and, uh, and, and totally makes sense because it's about debate and discussion. So it works with that. Yeah, it's it's basically a conversation. That's what yeah. it amounts to. And you don't have to worry. I've never had an issue not having any notes on that show. Uh, because if I don't have very good input or I don't know enough about the situation, I just let them know and say, you know, I, that's not my thing. Enlighten me a little bit because I don't know, legitimately don't know or have enough to kind of add to this. Um, it hasn't well, and that's, really. I mean, like that's natural conversation. Just like I said, you, yeah. you, like, I mean, you step into something, like somebody brings something up. It's like, I've never heard of that news story. What's going on with it. And yeah. you throw based upon their description, you throw out whatever your comment would be about that. Yeah. You know? It's like so. this show when I didn't watch a certain movie, usually part two. <laughs> uh, well, I don't blame you for this one, honestly. Yeah. So. No, it's too, the watching Candyman for the first time was just too fresh that I was like, I can't do this. I cannot go. There's no way that two is going to top what I just saw. And I really did not want to ruin what I had seen. I was like, this is fucking amazing. I did not expect. In fact, I did not want to watch Candyman. It's never <laughs> even piqued my interest at all. Not even slightly. I had that feeling you get whenever you watch a really good movie when you're done with it. It's just kind of like that, like glow. Like, I don't know how to yeah. describe it like that. That feeling you get where you're just like, that was a damn satisfying movie. Like, yeah. That, that, that was good. Like, I, that's what I wanted out of that movie. This you know? was a feel good horror film for me. <laughs> this is, a, this is definitely a comfort horror film. I don't know if I'd say that for myself, but it was like it, it had the message, it yeah. had like the visuals, it had everything. I was just like, that's satisfying. That's like when you eat a good steak and you're just sitting there yeah. like, that's a damn good steak. Still you know? so good. Hey, God, you know what was a comfort horror film for my daughter, was, which was fucking Annabelle. How do you make that a comfort horror film? The first one? The first one, I believe. I don't know if it was the first one or the second one. All I know, well, no. Well, oh, no, it was the first one because the second one was where they introduced the nun. No, that's well. The first, yeah, the first one is where they there's the nun, there's some kind of demonic thing involved in the first Annabelle movie. The second movie is the Annabelle origin story where they go back and they talk about the people who bought it for their child because or something yeah. like that, and it's set on a farm. That movie's fucking scary. That's actually a good movie. That for, one's especially for a sequel. The fuck out of me and my son. So yes, um, either one. I want to say it was the first one. Uh, she was obsessed with it, like obsessed to the point where we had to take it off of our Plex account or hide it so that she couldn't keep watching it over and over because she would literally put it on to go to bed at night. And it's like, okay, Coraline to go to bed, totally fine and acceptable. Uh, Annabelle, not okay. Not okay with this at all. <laughs> Especially given your the fact that your most hated, well, I won't say hated, but the movies that scare you the worst are like demonic. And yes, like, that's all Annabelle is, is demonic. Yeah, I mean, really. so exactly. So, and it's like, I mean, we've even had legitimate conversations about, hey, by the way, if I die, I promise you, I will not ask you to allow me to go inside of a doll or anything that you own. Okay, you can just catch me floating around the house on my own. <laughs> 
I don't need to inhabit anything. Don't fall for that shit. <laughs> don't take a don't take a lock of your hair and like sew it into a doll's uh, hairs or anything like that. Yeah, so. no, that's not that's not happening. Yeah, that was that was a creepy time. She was so little too. Oh God, I don't know how old she was. I think she was less than ten. So. I want to say seven-ish. When did Annabelle come? Oh, you know, we could probably fucking look it up right now. Annabelle. I'm going to say this while you're looking it up. I, Even though I love horror movies now, I was I did not watch them as a child. Like, I was cartoons, uh, you know, adventure movies. Uh, that's what I, I – sci-fi movies. Star Wars was big when I was a kid. Uh, you know, Back to the Future. That's what I watched. I did not watch horror movies until I was like in my preteens or at least. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, um, we, I don't know. I, the hubby thought it was a good idea to introduce them pretty young. Yeah, she was seven years old uh, when she was watching this every night to go to bed. I mean, I don't fault anybody for watching. I'm just saying, like, yeah. I personally didn't care for them. Like, oh, was, you didn't I care mean, for them. No, I, I mean, like, Frankenstein, like, literally, whenever I was a kid, was the only horror movie yeah. I watched around that time. It may be the original uh, Night of the Living Dead, although that movie scared me quite a bit as a kid, too, so I didn't watch it. But yeah, um, it, it really was whenever I was, like, 11, 12 years old that, that I got in scary movies, and it was the the thrill of the scare that got me more than anything. Like, I liked being scared at that point. Like, and that's why, and then... I've numbed myself to that to the point that if a movie actually does it, then I, that's why I'll, I'll love the movie no matter how shitty it is. Yeah. Because it got a good scare out of me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I don't, I think that I was sheltered so much. So that's why I get scared so easily. So it's fun for me. I'm not super, super numb yet. Although we've had a few movies where I was like, I think I'm fucking losing it because <laughs> it, I don't know. Um, and I wasn't allowed to watch a lot of uh, scary movies when I was younger. My parents were like, no, the devil. I don't know. And now look at me. Look at me now. <laughs> look at me and look at my daughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, I'll give you an example. Like a movie that surprised the hell out of me and I, and I love it to this day was the uh, first Insidious. That oh, movie God. legit scared the shit out of me in the theater. And I didn't think at that point when I watched that, that I could be scared anymore. Yeah, um, I think the hubby hit the nail on the head with that one. He was like, hey, this movie is right up your alley. It's exactly what scares the shit out of you. And I was like, I fucking hate you. Well, see, but it has the ghost thing, too. So it, it, it hits both of our fears yeah. because it's got a lot of ghost shit in it. That like, is it, true. Oh, yeah. Like, the one, th one of the things in the movie that, that creeped me out, and, like, I was sitting there. I remember, I remember it. Like, the little ghost kid, I mean, this is a tangent, and we'll probably have to wrap this up here soon. Little, little ghost kid that's got, like, the old-timey clothes on, he's in one scene that a character walks past. They don't fucking see him, and he's standing there next to a coat rack or, like, where mops oh, or something's yeah. at. And then he appears later on and, like, you know, like, starts singing this creepy little song or whatever. I looked at my wife after. I was like, did you see that? She said, She's like, what, did, what are you talking about? I was like, there was a fucking kid standing right there. Yeah. They didn't even acknowledge it, you know? <laughs> why i know i didn't like that um dumb question i know we gotta wrap up soon but I, we know Coraline isn't a scary film it's a creepy film it's creepy but it's not scary did the no. ghost kids kind of like was that like to you like not scary but like like uh fuck how like what the hell you know like did that like invoke any kind of feeling ghost kids and what Coraline. In, no okay no. 
animated stuff doesn't i'll be honest with you though one thing that did get me and the reason that we covered it during the season we did those ghost pirates in the when oh, I yeah. was a little located in the garfield halloween special they did scare the shit out of yeah they, they were really pretty did. fucking creepy i thought the ghost <laughs> kids in Coraline were creepy and i thought they were kind of it was sad because they had a legit story like hey if you allow her to do this, this is what's going to happen to you, you know? And she made us promises, and it was like, oh, fuck. I'm sorry. If I was a kid in Coraline's situation, I'd be fucking scared as fuck. You could catch me in a fucking corner screaming my eyes out because <laughs> these fucking ghosts are in that room with me. The uh, the the mother, the other mother, uh, would creep me out more than anything else oh, in that yeah. movie. Yeah, she was a um, fucking bitch. Beetlejuice was something that scared me as a kid. Uh, a little bit like i mean i yeah, i knew it was funny at parts and that's yeah. the reason i could tolerate watching it but those scenes where the the maitlands first go over into the afterlife and they oh, see like yeah. all those weird like you know Lost especially that souls. guy who's the one guy who's flattened, who's like yeah. leading through the place, creep me. I just scared the shit out of me as a kid. The lost souls and the um and the and the snake stairwell Beetlejuice was fucking yes. scary. And then you had Danny Elfman. It's like music in the background. Yeah. It sounds like some moaning spirit. It's like, oh. Oh, yeah. Know. Just, oh, God, that, that got me. Fucking Danny Elfman. God, some classics. <laughs> Anyways, we should probably get going. All right. And with that, peace be with you. And with your spirit.